All right, well, I'm excited about today. Um, last Sunday, we had our year in review video, remembering all the good things that God did in our church last year through this, uh, our church with new wells and new members, uh, just all kinds of great things that happened. And uh, today, we're going to be ordaining three new deacons. I'm excited about that. It's very biblical. I'm going to show you scripture, how biblical it is. It's way back in the early church days. So we're going to look at this today, and at the end of the after I share the message, we're going to be laying hands on our three new deacons and ordaining them to serve our church here, our church body here. Amen. So I'm excited about that. So when it comes to church government, church government is not a, a man-made idea, even though in some churches it may look like that. Uh, it was actually God's idea. I'll show you it in Scripture. But when it comes to church government, there's basically three different forms of church government that you see in different churches. We have the Episcopal um, approach to church government, and that's more... Roman Catholic, Anglican, Episcopalians, some Methodists, some Wesleyans, some Lutherans. And the Episcopal and Anglican churches basically started out the same as the Catholic Church. They just removed the Pope from it. It's the same kind of church government. In Episcopal-type government, the bishop is the one in charge of the church. It just it seems everyone answers to the, the one bishop. The second type is the congregational-type church, and that, those are the Baptist churches, some Lutherans, some, uh, most Wesleyans, non-denominational churches, and a lot of congregational churches. And there's actually two different types of congregational churches. One congregational is, is where the, it's a congregation-led church. And this is where the, the members are in charge. They have a deacon board in charge or some people like that in charge. And it's a good system if you have the right people involved. And any of these systems can work with the right people involved. But when you don't have the right people involved, it can destroy your church. It can really be a, a hard thing. A pastor can have a clear vision from God. But if they don't agree with it, then uh, they're just, it's too bad for the pastor. you got to do what we say, or they fire you. And some of these systems of government they have, a pastor and his family could be gone on vacation, and they could come home and find their stuff in the lawn because they had to vote while they were gone and they're fired. I know that might sound extreme, but I actually know people that this has happened to. And uh, it's amazing to me. Like, uh, yeah, I get your church government. You can do it the way you see best. But would Jesus ever do that to somebody? I mean, if you want the pastor fired, I guess there has to be a better way than that, right? To do it when he's on vacation, but you can probably, <laughs> and then comes anyway. So that's, that's, again, this form of government could work if the right people are involved. But all you have to do in a lot of those churches is become a member, show up. And then you could have real carnal people become members, and they become leaders, and then all of a sudden, it might not be God's best plan for that church. The another, another version that can have the same problems in the opposite Extreme, really, is a pastor-led congregation, and this is where the pastor has all authority to make all decisions. And I actually met a guy um, who was coming into the EPC church. He was a Pentecostal pastor, young guy, had a, a really cool name. His name's Ryan, and uh, wasn't, <laughs> but uh, he, was, he was living in New York or New Jersey or something like that, and he had this really large Pentecostal church. And he had his name on billboards, his picture on billboards, and all kinds of stuff, and he had no oversight. He was totally in charge of 100% how the money went, how everything happened, and he hated it. And eventually he left the church, he left the whole denomination and joined our denomination because he wanted some spiritual oversight in his life, some covering. He didn't want to be responsible for making all those decisions. He had to decide his own pay and everything. I mean, that's not easy to do. So uh, he left. But um, this model is where the pastor has all the authority, and those churches are usually non-denominational churches, some Baptist churches like that, and some congregational churches. This model can also lead to problems, as we've all seen, when one person has too much power. 
uh, absolute power can absolutely corrupt. Uh, it doesn't always, but it can if the person's not been refined through the fire and is not be able to be trusted with some things. So again, all these methods can work if they have the right people or the right person involved. But if they don't, then there can definitely be challenges. We've all seen it. We've probably, probably all experienced or know people have experienced a church split, and it's not fun, is it? It hurts. Like, it's, you, you come together like family, and all of a sudden we have these fights and splits over often really stupid things. I did a sermon here years, years ago. I remember, uh, I remember Wally commented on it because he thought it was hilarious, but there was churches that split over fighting over the carpet. And then they built a church across the road, and this was the first church, and so they named theirs the second church. And they're the same family, and they're fighting over stuff like that. Guys, when you're having stuff like that, you've got the wrong leadership in charge. There's something wrong in the church government there that a church was split over carpet. There's something wrong the whole way the church probably do better to shut down than have a church split over carpet. I mean, really carpet? I mean, my gosh. Anyway, so our form of church government, honestly, not just because I'm pastor here, I believe the Presbyterian form of church government is the most biblically based or biblically accurate from Scripture version of church leadership because it's, it's the way that they did it. And I'll show you this in the Bible. Our government is an elder-led church, and the elders are selected by the congregation, and they're voted on by the members of the church body, and uh, just like we did with our deacons a few weeks ago. In our system of government, we have multiple ruling elders, and which our church has five, and we have a teaching elder, which is me. And so, and our, our elders here are Gerald Arthur. Yeah, you can give it up for Gerald. Thank you for serving. Uh, Pat, uh, sorry, <laughs> so Pat, David Cox, we'll go to you first. I'm doing an alphabetical order, trying to. Um, Pat Daniels, thank you for serving. Terry Edwards, if you're online, thank you for serving. And of course, Mark Young. So again, I believe, yes, again, this is, I believe this would be the most biblically based, accurate form of church government. It, it, it's because one, if you have too many people involved, sometimes things can just go weird. I mean, just like, anyway, I'll show you from the word. So Acts 14, 23 says, And when they had ordained them elders in every church, elders plural, in every church, okay, not just certain ones, but every one, and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. So again, the apostles ordained the elders in every church. This is the way things were done in every church. Okay, And it was never an elder. There was never one elder in charge of the church. It was always, there's not one example in the New Testament of, a, of an elder running a church. It was elders, plural, running the church. In every example, you cannot find it. And the word uh, elder comes from the Greek word presbuteros, which is where we get our English words for presbytery or presbyterian. That doesn't, make it, that doesn't make it super spiritual in that it's just the original Greek thing because Episcopalian is also uh, a word too, but it's just a different form of government. But in Acts 20, Paul calls the elders of the church overseers. Acts 20, 28. It says, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. If you go back and read it, he's talking to the elders. Be shepherds or feed the church of God which he bought with his own blood. Again, again he's, so the word overseers and bishop is actually the same word in the Greek language. And so the elders are overseers. They're like a bishop, but it's not bishop singular. It would be bishop plural. There's more than one. Okay? 
it's not, it's not best for one person to be in charge other than God. <laughs> Everybody, it's, it's just not the best way to do it. So I've actually I've really loved having the, plur, the plurality of elders around me because sometimes it's like, I don't, know what, I don't know what to do. I'm not an expert on this or that or all these other things that have nothing to do with preaching. And so I want a whole team around me of, of great men of God that know the word and know how to do things so we can, the body can function well together. Amen? So uh, I want to show you this from 1 Timothy 5.17. It says, The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor especially those who work, whose work is preaching and teaching. I want to pause there for a second and just give some honor to our elders. Uh, I, um, the reason, okay, God is the reason for it all, but I want to say this. The unity in our eldership is one of the big reasons why we have unity in this body. If we are fighting here, you be fighting there. And so the, the healthy eldership, it flows, leadership flows down. It flows down. And so if we're corrupt, if we're messed up, we're fighting in the back, we're calling each other names or gossiping about you guys, our church would not be growing. Our church would not be healthy. Because that's not, because Jesus would never do that. <laughs> He's not going to gossip about you guys. If we talk about you guys, it'd be like, how can we help them? How can we pray for them? Do we need more life groups? Do we need more, lead, how can we serve the people better? It's not a, a gossip thing. So, I want to just take a minute and just honor and thank our elders that serve well because they, they're, they're not paid. They're volunteering to do these things because they love you guys and they're giving up their time, their evenings, their, uh, their free time sometimes to go visit or pray or call or whatever to help. And um, they're just wonderful men. I want to thank God for them. So let's just thank God for them. You... You come into a church and you thank God for unity that you feel when you walk in the house. I know here, you, uh, often you guys come, to, come in and you say, it feels like family. It feels like family. I love it when I hear that because that's one of my prayers from the very beginning, that we would feel like a family because we are family. We have the same father. We have the exact same father. It's God. And we're family. We're called to love each other, serve each other, help each other out, and, and encourage one another as long as it's called today. And so... Um, Walking through the door, you feel the unity, the peace, the family. That all flows from the leadership down. Of course, God gets all the glory. He's saying, if we were fighting the church, you'd feel it. When I first came here, my first Sunday here, i just being honest, there's, there's only a handful that were here then. It didn't feel so welcoming. It didn't feel so healthy. And, it definitely, and I was here to preach. I was a guest speaker. And I, I, was, I was not hired then at the time. I was just coming to speak. And it felt like a funeral in here. It felt like uh, death in here. Uh, it felt like a morgue in here. Let me just say it that way. Is that okay? It felt like a morgue in here. And I came in, I was, was my, I'm supposed to preach. I'm like, good gosh, this is so heavy. It felt so oppressive. It was like, what's going on? And then, and then when the service was over, I was the last one here. <laughs> no one was there to greet me or take me out to eat or anything. And so um, I thank God for the work that God's done in this place. Because this church, just like many others around here, could have the doors could have shut. They could have, and that would have been a tragedy because God has a calling and destiny on this house to do great things. Amen. He really does. So I want to thank, I thank God for our leadership. But it says, the elders who are direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. So here it shows that elders are called to direct the affairs of the church, 
but also they are, some of them are called to preaching and teaching, but some of them are not. But they're still, that's why in our church we have what's called ruling elders and we have the teaching elder. Because you can see both here. Not all of them are, they, they can all teach, but they don't all have to be able to teach or preach. So, but they're all called to direct the affairs of the church and they're all called shepherds or overseers to care for the flock. All of them. Not just a pastor or the teaching elder, but all of us are pastors. And re- really, when you think of it, uh, deacons or members, we're all called to the same thing, is to love and serve one another. Amen. Today I want to show you some scripture about um, deacons. We're going to be ordaining three deacons today. And we haven't done this since, I don't remember what year. Dave Mark, what year was it when you were, do you remember? It was a while ago. It's been a while. And so uh, this may have been overdue, or past due, whatever, but we're here today, so praise God. But um, our current deacons, I want to honor and thank them for serving too, is Joe Evans back here. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> Joey Gregg. David Mark Gillespie, Dale Huffman, and Marshall Huffman. And today we're, uh, that sounded like a golf tournament there for a little while, didn't it? A little, little <laughs> clap, but we do honor you guys, do thank you guys. I hope you know it is sincere, not just saying your names, but we do appreciate what you guys do here. That, like, whether it's shoveling, help with the driveway, or throwing down salt, or coming early to do something, or helping with Christmas tree, whatever it is, you guys do a lot that people don't know about. I just want to thank you and honor you today for your service, for your care. Um, three, uh, two of our guys, and now three with Aaron, are on the worship team, so they're, they're busy every week doing that. And that's, again, all volunteer. They're not getting paid. We, we are going to get a, a Christmas thing, and we, didn't, we kind of forgot and we didn't forget, but you are going to get, <laughs> you know, we're going to get better at that too, but we do have a gift that you didn't get this year that you got last year, worship team, uh, so sorry about that, but you are still going to get it eventually. Um, I'm just, the communication was, we weren't sure who was doing it, I guess. <laughs> uh, anyway, sorry about that, but we do honor you guys. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, uh, deacons, for your service. Um, the, our deacons we're ordaining today are Ken Handy. Right over here. Gabe Johnson. And Aaron Tomlin. So I want to show you some scriptures about deacons, about ordaining deacons and just deacons in general. But Philippians 1, 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons. So the word overseer there is elders, and we see elders and deacons here listed together. The word deacon is a Greek word. It means to serve or to be a servant, to run on errands, or to be an attendant. Now, um, this is the meaning of this word, but their ministry is not limited to just those things. So just so you know, I'll get to that in a minute. But that is part of their ministry. The word deacon is used frequently of those who advance others' interests even at the sacrifice of their own. Don't you love that? Read it again. The word deacon is used figuratively of those who advance others' interests, even at the sacrifice of their own. And the one who does what promotes the welfare and prosperity of the church, or unity of the church. That's part of their job is to do do that. So this should, again, describe everyone in the church, but there's people that are actually called to the office of the deacon to serve the people in this way. So also the word deacon, minister, and servant in the Bible, they're all the exact same Greek word. So it says a minister of the gospel or a servant of the gospel. It's the same word for deacon. 
I want to show you this in the Bible. 2 Corinthians 3, 6. It says, He has made us competent as ministers, that's deacon, deacons, of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. That's a whole sermon right there, but I'm going to try to do my whole best to move on because I'm, anyway, I'll share that another week. Next one, Matthew 20, 26. Not so with you instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant or deacon. Okay, so those words are interchanged. You read the Bible, minister, servant, deacon, they're interchangeable in Scripture. So the, probably the most famous story in the Bible that has to do with deacons comes from Acts chapter 6, dealing with uh, Stephen and, and those guys. In Acts chapter 6, the apostles were preaching and doing their thing, and all of a sudden there was a complaint come up because certain widows of the new converts weren't getting their, their share of the distribution of food, and they probably just didn't have enough volunteers to help organize this, this big project. So the apostles came to the people, called a, a meeting together, and they said, I want you, they, they didn't pick the seven men, you know, the apostles didn't. They said, I want you, the congregation, to pick these seven men to serve as deacons to help solve this food distribution problem. All the widows need all the widows that need help, they should get help. We want to do it. We want to do it right. So in Acts 6 3, it says, Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. Now, uh, we don't know how these men were selected. Uh, don't know if they went and interviewed a bunch of people. If they cast lots, if they took a vote, if, they, if the elders selected them. It doesn't say how they were chosen. It just says the congregation chose these seven men. These seven men must have stood out of the crowd for, for some reason. And they were appointed to serve as deacons. Okay? This is back a long time ago. And we're still doing it today. Amen? God's plan hasn't changed. He wants to do it. So... Going on to verse 5. And the same pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip. Philip is actually the one who is preaching to the Ethiopian eunuch, and he was translated or teleported from one spot to another spot like 20 miles away. Man, I want to experience that, like honestly, especially when I drive to Canada or something. Like I'm just like, dear Jesus, teleport me now, beam me up, Scotty, whatever you got to do. This is a long drive, but how cool. He just baptized this Ethiopian eunuch. He comes up by the water, and boom, he's gone. He's like 20 miles away instantly. That's awesome. This is the same Philip. So he was also an evangelist. Even though he was a deacon here, he was also an evangelist. And there was also Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, or Simba, <laughs> uh, Permenus, per, per and Nicholas, a prostitute, careful I word that, a convert from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. The word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Look at the results of how they handled this administration task. Sometimes gifts of administration get pushed aside like they're not important. Church cannot function without the gift of administration. There'd be no church without 
people that help administrate and do things. There'd be no church. There wouldn't be a church back then. They need people that think of the tasks they're doing here. They're feeding, we don't know how many widows, probably quite a bit, because they needed to recruit seven guys to help oversee this. They're feeding them potentially every day. So they got to go kill these animals, cook these animals, deliver the food, clean up the mess. It was a big job. And so they needed wisdom to help administrate and solve these problems. So um, they activate, what they did to solve it was they activated more people to help. And sometimes in the church, if you see something that's undone and you find yourself starting to complain about it, well, you might be the person who's called to help fix it. You know, when we first started here, we used to get all these people come up to us and tell us, you know what, you need to do this, and you need to do that, and you guys should do this and do that. And we'd flip it back and say, that sounds like a good project for you to do. Or that sounds like a good faith project. And we stopped hearing some of those ideas after, after a while. But not that they're not good ideas, but it's not, it's not healthy for one person to do everything. It's not healthy for a pastor to do everything. It's not healthy for the, they needed seven people. They needed more people than that because it wasn't just the deacons helping. There was lots of other people involved cooking that food. And we need lots of people here helping to have the, the church run the way it's supposed to. Amen? As each part, as each part does its, jointly supplies, Ephesians 4, as each one does its part. It's the body of Christ working together to see things done, right? So look what happened as a result of their good administration or organization. All the widows' needs were met. The food happened, got all the food they needed, and the apostles continued doing what they're called to do. So look, as a good administrative type judgment and decision, organization things, what happened from there is the word of God spread, the number of disciples were greatly multiplied, and then a great many of priests were obedient to the faith. That's amazing. These weren't Catholic priests, so you know. These are Jewish priests that were raised trained rabbis that had to be trained for so many years to serve as a priest. And they were converting to the faith as, as a direct result of this administrative decision to help this function, right? The, the, feed the widows, take care of them, and then the apostles were set free to do what they're called to do. Each part does their own what they're called to do. And the great fruit from this. So in our church too, as each one does its part, we'll see more and more fruit. But if I try to do your part, I'm stifling your fruit. You try to do my part, you're going to stifle my fruit. And so we have to all do our own part. And as we do it, our church, we will grow, but also our church numerically will grow. So um, the first seven uh, person, people we named among the deacons, the first person named was Stephen. And look what it says about Stephen. Acts 6, 8. Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. I want to just make mention of this here. He was the first one called to serve as a deacon. I think Stephen could have been offended by this. Why am I being called to serve as a deacon? I should be an elder. I should be an apostle. Great signs and wonders are flowing through my hands. I'm seeing this happen. I'm seeing that happen. He's, God's obviously on my life. Why am I not this? And they called him to serve as a deacon. And my guess was the guy was fairly young. And they wanted him to have training and experience of serving. Because you can have, gifts are given, but fruit is grown. And so uh, if he would have had a jealous heart, if he would have had a bitter heart, he's possible, How could, I'm just as, I could preach just as good as this guy. I could preach just as good as that guy. I'm seeing just as many miracles as this person, that person, but they don't have the title. I'm telling you, release the titles to the Lord. He was a deacon, and he still saw just as many signs and wonders as other people did. 
the deacon doesn't limit your ministry or the supernatural calling on your life, but when you come under subjection to leadership and flow in with a, a, a church family together, you actually have a covering for those things to flow the right way. But if he would have got bitter, it would have cut off the flow, and he would have stopped seeing those miracles like he was before. He might have still seen some, but it wouldn't have flowed like he was before. But his heart wasn't like that. He wasn't proud or arrogant. He was called to, to serve as a deacon. So it's not a lesser call. It's just what, what um, God asked him to do. But he could have felt like it's a lesser call. and could have felt uh, slighted, overlooked, or whatever. And then he gets bitter, and then it, caused a whole, it can cause a whole mess in a church, can't it? Because guess what? We're people. And we can get fleshy sometimes, right? Oh me, oh my, or whatever. But uh, So most likely Stephen and the rest of these men were great administrators. He probably wouldn't have been called to do that, right? He's probably a great administrator. So since he was an administrator, but he also flowed in these gifts. So you can have a gift of administration, but you can also flow in gifts of the Holy Spirit at the same time. It's not limiting to you. You can still flow in prophecy. You can still flow in healing. You can still flow in whatever God's wanting to put in you and through you. So it's not a limitation. It's an invitation to humble yourself. You know, when you, when you stop wanting the position or the title or whatever, that's when you're ready to receive it. When I was younger, I wanted these titles. I wanted to be recognized. I wanted to go here, there, do this and that. And uh, I just did. I mean, I was seeing lots of miracles, lots of stuff, more than other people that I knew that had titles and positions. And pride and arrogance was coming to my head and these thoughts that I would never want to repeat sometimes because it was just power. Power gifts can cause you to get um, just off focus, off track. And God had to help me eat some humble pie um, and just show that it's, they're all grace gifts. Whether it's healing, whether it's prophecy, whether it's tongues, interpretation, whatever the gifts are, whether it's administration, they're all grace gifts. You didn't do anything to deserve the gifts that you flow in. It's a, it's a gift from the Lord. And God had to really show me this because I, I, was, I was struggling with this sometimes. But now I have, I'm having more opportunities than I had before, and now I don't want to go because I like being home with you guys. I just, the desire to go is gone, but I know now is, is, is my season. I'm going to be getting called out. I just, I'll tell you ahead of time before it happens, and if you'll know if I get heard to God or not. But the, I feel like God's been telling me again and again and again through dreams and different words that because of the book, I'm going to get more invitations to go out and speak and share on some of these things. I'm not saying I'm moving. I'm not moving. I'm, I'm here with you guys. But I'm going to have some weekends where we're going to activate the body of Christ to preach and teach while I'm going to be gone some places and, and ministering. So, all right, let's go back to this calling of the deacons. So they chose seven man deacons. Um, um, and it couldn't, oh yeah, and it couldn't just be anybody. It was just, uh, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It was certain conditions these men had to meet in order to qualify. And the apostles said first that these men must be of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom. So that was the first set of um, expectations on them. But later, in 1 Timothy, he made a, a longer list, and I'll share that with you now. 1 Timothy 3, 18, uh, sorry, 8 through 13. Deacons, likewise, are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. I had a deacon ask me once, does this mean I can't drink wine? It doesn't say that, does it? What does it say? Not indulging in much wine. Now, that's open to your interpretation. I'm saying if you're getting drunk off wine, you're probably indulging in too much wine. Okay? Uh, verse 9. 
They must hold, keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. Um, I skipped some, didn't I? Okay, going back. And not pursuing dishonest gain. Then verse 9. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be the husband of one wife. This does not mean that if you're not married, you can't be a deacon. I just want to say that. It means you can't be married to two women at once. Okay? Because I've had a, a guy I know of that had his heart hurt because they wouldn't let him serve as a deacon because he wasn't married. And I think that's a sad interpretation of the scripture. But anyway, a deacon must be the husband of one wife and must manage his children and his household well. That'd be just the same thing as he doesn't have any children, so he can't be a deacon. That's just, people can interpret the Bible in foolish ways, right? They just can. But anyway, verse 13. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Now, what that verse means, take it for yourself. Because <laughs> like we're saved by grace through faith, but there's an assurance you can get, it says here, according to Scripture, from serving well. It's not, uh, it's not earning your way to heaven. There's some kind of assurance you get by doing the works of the ministry. Okay, And there's, a, I guess, a fine line there. So we believe the man we chose to serve, the new, these three guys, qualify from these scriptures to, to serve this body as deacons. So today we're going to be ordaining these three guys, just like they did in Acts chapter 6. I want to show you this, Acts 6, 6. And they brought before the apostles seven deacons, and after praying, they laid hands on them. What they did, they brought them up in front of the people, and they publicly ordained them for the works of the ministry. And I thought, well, they're just serving tables. What's the big deal? They're just doing that. Well, it wasn't just that. It's serving the body. It's serving the family. It's in it. And to God, orphans and widows are a big deal. They're a really big deal. Read the Old Testament verses where he talks about, don't mess with my orphans. Don't mess with my widows. It might not, it's not, I'll, I'll bring revenge back to you. Uh, he, but he says to take out, look out for them, take care of them. So it's an important ministry. 